You are listening to Open Science Talk, the podcast about, well, open science. This is episode seven, and my guest today is organizational psychologist and PhD candidate Lars Moxnes at the Tomsø School of Business and Economics at UIT, the Arctic University of Norway. And today's topic is how psychology is relevant in the choice to publish open access. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So as part of your uh, PhD work, you did a survey with uh, almost uh, 20,000 Norwegian academics and scientific staff um, on what their relationship with open access was. Uh, the result is very interesting and it implies how researchers perceive quality, impact uh, and visibility as key factors uh, to intentions for publishing open access. But it also says something about habits. Um, but could you explain uh, the approach you had and why you thought a survey might be a good way to measure uh, the relationship between researchers and the choice to do open access? Yeah, well, <clears throat> first, I think this is inspired by my background in psychology, that my approach was to understand more of the deeper um, precursors to intention of why researchers would, would want to choose to publish in open access or not. And given open access and its nature, it would be, it would take a lot of time to, to run interviews and you would only get a very limited, uh, population, uh, to evaluate the data from. So my thought was that the best way to reach, uh, a large amount of, or a large number of researchers would be to survey them. So I actually ran two surveys. I started with one at the University of Tromsø where I sort of, tested out my initial approach and the, uh, the initial model that will constitute the base model for this research. And then that made the foundation for the larger national survey, which was sent to 18,000 people. And I wish 18,000 people answered, but they didn't, but still 1,800 did. So um, how, do you, uh, how do you perceive that um, the basis of the survey, is it a good enough um, uh, data for, for analyzing this? It's about 10% response rate. If you calculate in that the, the amount or the number of, of scientific staff at the major universities in Norway that actually um, would be my target population. I had to select also uh, administrative staff in many cases because it was difficult on the web pages to sort who belonged where. So it actually went out to a larger population than uh, would be my target population. So from the roughly 14,000 uh, scientific staff at these universities, my uh, my sample of 1,800 is sufficient. And uh, so. What was uh, the initial result of uh, of the survey? Well, if we if we go and um, delve into the um, the findings um, of the survey, or we can take the article that is um, is discussing the quality aspects that you mentioned initially. The findings are, I mean, and and this is also known from from the the larger debate on open access that their researchers have issues or concerns when it comes to quality. Uh, what I did was to build on the initial survey. Now I'm talking about the larger one. I, I, um, I refined the perceived quality indicators that I used. I split them into three factors that will look into the, the impact of a journal, 
uh, with familiar indicators such as the impact factor and, and things like that. Uh, visibility is also included and content quality, which is self-explanatory in a way. It's the, the, the quality of the, the journal itself. And I evaluated and I analyzed how these would affect the intention to publish in an open access journal or a non-open access journal. So I only use very general terms uh, in order to capture as much of, of, of the, um, the uh, variance uh, as possible um, in these indicators. The results of the analysis showed that the journal impact that particular factor had a negative uh, effect on, on the intention to publish open access. And this is something that would intuitively make sense to many people because there are, when you talk to researchers, um, one of the issues they bring up is that they are concerned about the quality when it comes to open access publications. And this particular factor also had a positive effect on the intention to publish in a non-open access journal. So any other than subscription-based or, or something like this. I did not uh, differentiate between the, the hybrid it was only the terms open access and non-open access to give it um, a general as a, a general approach as possible. What I did find, though, that the um, the factor I've termed visibility uh, actually had a positive effect on on the intention to publish in an open access journal. While it did decrease the intention to publish in a non-open access journal, and this is interesting because it shows that. Over the years, one of the, the major talking points of open access has been that it gives you as a researcher an advantage in terms of visibility. It's, it's open, so it's available for everyone. And this is actually something that would strengthen the researcher's intention to publish in these journals. Uh, and this is, uh, again, then from the national sample. So it seems like researchers in Norway may agree with this point that, yeah, it increases visibility. But when you move to the last factor in, in this survey, in this article, the one term content quality that pertains to the content of, of a journal. It's actually the opposite again. Then it reduces the intention to publish in an open access journal while it strengthens the intention to publish in a non-open access journal. So the Norwegian researchers understand the advantages of the visibility of publishing in an open access journal, but your study seems to indicate that they still have concerns regarding impact and quality. And that's a major factor here, right? The, I would say that the, the most important factor, but here now I should be a bit careful with making uh, too strong a conclusion, but this journal impact, the factor, it's, it's um, determined by three indicators, and they are uh, the impact factor, journal impact factor that I talked about earlier, um, and the status of the journal, and that it is a prestigious journal to publish in. And this is very important when it comes to academic publishing, it seems. Uh, so I would think that this is stronger uh, than the visibility aspect of it. It's more like, okay, we agree that it, it has superior visibility or the possibility to have your, your, your research out there to a larger audience is, is bigger with open access. But I would think that the impact is more important when you actually want to choose where to publish. So how can one use those data? How can a government or institution apply that data? Well, this is now a, a general approach, um, sort of the, the, the first one. And so, but it gives um, a framework 
to also increase the focus uh, on any on, on on these particular questions in any kind of institutions. Uh, you could, for example, if when you now want to implement new policies, uh, you can run an approach like this at uh, one single uh, institution. You can differentiate from institutes and faculties if you would wish, and you can see what are the differences between those. And are the results that I have found here reflected in your institution? So it gives you the possibility to see that, okay, if researchers here, let's just take an example, but hypothetical institute here, and the results would be different. It would show that they have a negative association with visibility, for example. Then you see that, okay, something is different here. So how should I approach this? Then you have a finding that you can target and you can talk to the researchers and you can find out like, okay, what is going on? And the same thing with the, the impact factor, with the journal impact or the content quality. When you have a more focused and comprehensive measure, it's easier to detect the variations in your, your target behavior, which also gives you information of how you should address uh, fixing this, if you can use the term like that. Lars, uh, you also investigated habits in uh, scholarly publishing. Uh, what did you find there? Well, the habit paper, if I can call it, I took a slightly different approach because habit can be thought of in in different in different ways. Some would think of it as just frequency of past behavior. Some would think of it as um, an automatic behavior that is instigated by some kind of trigger in, in in your environment. So my thought there was to test habit strength and the habit then to to um, to publish or to to submit an article to an open access journal at various levels in my is in my my basic model, which uh, theorizes that the intention is determined the intention to do something is determined by your attitude towards performing this behavior, uh, any normative influence, and any perceived control issues that if you, for example, if you feel that you have the ability or skill set to do the actual behavior that is published in an open access journal or autonomy, like if even though that you have the ability to do it, there might be something else that stops you from doing it. For example, that you won't get money uh, if there's an APC. So that's the basic model of it all. And then I I basically put habit at various places in this model to see where does habit come into play. Does it affect the intention directly? Now, keep in mind that this is an automatic uh, aspect. So it's also a little bit difficult to sort of put this together with evaluative aspects that you, you make a concrete attitudinal um, evaluation of something is different than you have instigated a, a behavior habitually. Uh, so I tested this at various levels. And to summarize and to make things short, what I found is that habit to publish in an open access journal or habit to publish is heavily influenced by norms. So the social norms um, that pertains to scholarly publishing actually is plays a large part in, in forming a habit. Now in this particular model, it did not fit the data very well. So this these results are sort of tentative um, and should be um, shouldn't draw too strong conclusions, but it's a very interesting finding that shows that the, when it comes to um, engaging in scholarly publishing, habit does play uh, a strong role. That changes the way we, we maybe should um, address interventions, for example, to increase open access publishing behavior. Because when you, 
when you want to change habits, uh, it might not be enough to, for example, run uh, uh, one small lecture here and there. You, ha- you have to have some kind of recurring events and in order to, to initiate habit change. And it raises and it poses many interesting questions that definitely should be investigated further. But the tradition of uh, scholarly publishing is usually to publish in journals that are uh, not mm. open access. Um, should we think that uh, this would uh, change then if there is just more journals that are open access? Well, now with the new with the new initiatives from the European Research Council and the Research Council in Norway, the change will take place over time, of course. Uh, my idea and my thinking is that by focusing more on, on these aspects um, that I have researched and also other people, you could understand more of the different facets of behavior of this of the psychology that goes into publishing and it could help facilitate this transition to open access and make it easier. It pays to try to investigate the effects of a policy before you, you push it through and to to investigate how will this be affected in, in the, the population that is, is targeted by these interventions and these policies. And an approach of this kind, it does exactly that. It opens up this behavioral aspects, this human aspects within all of this that none of these other approaches I've seen does to the same extent. So it could help facilitate the transition for sure. Uh, so what would that look like uh, if you apply this type of study as a part of uh, policy? Mm. What, what would be different? Well, policies have certain targets um, that they want to reach. And with these targets, you could try and fit an approach of this kind. And not only conducting surveys, which are often stretched over time and um, you have... Uh, and uncertainty in how many people will, will answer and so on and so forth. But you could also test some of these things experimentally, for example. You could have a group of people that would evaluate papers based on the content of them and remove everything that has to do with uh, information about journals and, and authors and such and see how they rate the quality when there are no indicators about prestige or impact and things like that to get an idea how researchers perceive the text when all these other things are removed. This will help you think uh, about the quality aspect of it and how you could possibly shift the quality indicators from uh, a non-open access article to also um, represent an an open access article to understand more about why uh, researchers are, or some, many, are, are so concerned with the quality at face value and they don't go deeper or do they go deeper to check the actual quality of the article. So it, it, it opens up a whole lot of possibilities and approach of this kind to understand the deeper structure of this behavior. So in, in my opinion, it could help on many levels when it comes to policy development and implementation. And of course, an, ex, an ex- experiment of, of, of this kind can be run quickly with a, a small amount of people. And it could give you an idea of how to move forward with this um, with the policy. And then when you've implemented, you can also run service, for example, to evaluate the effects. And then you can see after you have run the interventions, you can compare that with before and you can you can find out if have these numbers changed, these effects, has the negatives become more positive? What has happened? Yes, it would be more work, but I think that the results would be so much better. 
Lars Moxnes, uh, thank you. It has uh, been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you for inviting me. Hi, everybody. If you want to read Lars's published papers on these issues, go to our site, opensciencetalk.com. There you can find more information on every guest we have on this show and links to their publications. This podcast is produced by the University Library at UIT, the Arctic University of Norway. Thanks for listening.